10 friends of your booklet. There's a quote that we're going to look at um, as part of this talk. Thank you, Mark, so much. I've known Mark and Mary Lois for eight years, something like that, and um, very special people. And uh, thank you, Mark, for being so honest. It's very good to be honest, friends. We don't like masks. Masks are hopeless. Um, so let's be honest. And thank you, Mark, also, because what we're really thinking about in this next session is how realistic we are as Christians about that thing called self with a capital S. We are deeply realistic about it. And as Mark alluded to, we all have it and we need to work out what we're going to do with it. Let's have that in your minds. Let me start with um, my school route that I take my son and daughter go down past the church and you end up on Westbourne Grove which is quite a famous shopping road and it's full of these extraordinary shops a bit like on Elizabeth Street where a pair of shoes is 500 pounds and um, I look at them and go lovely Uh, but one of the shops I love for what it teaches us about realism is a shop called Bodyism has anyone come across Bodyism please say you don't run it Bodyism. So there I am going along Westbourne Grove and there's Dalesford Organic and all the other. Lovely. And, then, and then there's Bodyism. And Bodyism is a reasonable size shop front and it has a sort of bar section and people sitting in the window and they've all got Apple Macs, God bless Apple, and um, they're all really shiny, shiny faces, beautiful sort of quaffed hair, lycra, and they're all drinking cappuccinos. And I just look at them, and you know, my children look dishevelled. I'm sort of chasing after them, and I'm thinking, "Oh, bodyism! Why, why, why am I not in you? You know, you have the secret of life. Surely, um, if you look up online about this wonderful place, um, it's a sort of gym, come personal training venue. Um, and what I particularly love about it is, occasionally, they put a bit of paper on the pillar next to the door and it just says take what you need and it has little tags of paper peace forgiveness love joy and I think oh if only that worked oh boys I if I could take a bit of paper that got me peace life would be so simple friends I mean so thank the Lord for bodyism because what bodyism teaches us in our crazy culture is that it's completely unrealistic. I mean completely. It's selling an image of what life could be like or should be like. And we see images like this all the time and we look at our own paltry lives and we think, what's going wrong? But seriously, we do. We get drawn in. And what I want to think with you about in the next 25 minutes or so is is our realism as Christians. And when you use the term realistic, I suspect many out there would say, you Christians are realistic. No, no, you're mad. You're deluded. Oh, maybe you're noble. But certainly realism is not the word that would come to mind, I suspect, if you ask people without faith. So two things I want to look with you uh, in this session. Firstly, we're realistic about ourselves. We're realistic about ourselves. And secondly, we are realistic about the world. And as I said, 
What, what I want us to see is how distinctively Christian we are or should be and how different that is from our culture. And so how much we've got to show them and offer them. We, we have such good news, friends. We're sitting on treasure. For ourselves, yes. To reinforce what we believe because it works. But also for them as they seek realism in crazy ways that don't work at all. So I want to turn, if you have a Bible, I hope you do, to Luke chapter 5. As we think about being realistic about ourselves. Turn to Luke chapter 5. And I'm super grateful that the Lord Jesus chose Peter to be one of his disciples because Peter always says what the others are not willing to leap in and say and and say thank the Lord for Peter he always scores the goals but he also falls down all the holes and um, that's brilliant you know these disciples are far from perfect so we're going to read or I'm going to read Luke chapter 5 and verses 4 to 10 Luke chapter 5 verses 4 10. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, that's Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Peter hadn't done anything particularly wrong when he encountered Christ with the fish in the boats. He hadn't just committed adultery or, I don't know, been super greedy or, I don't know. But as soon as he realises, and it is a God moment, as soon as he realises who he's in the presence of, he automatically and instinctively says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And so as we think about ourselves, that must be our starting point. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Our realism is rooted and founded, not in ourselves, but as we come into the presence of God. Without that encounter, we can never be truly realistic. Which is why in a culture that is not Christian, there is so much sugariness and lack of realism. I was having lunch the other day with a delightful Italian. 
an entrepreneur setting up a business. And he was saying to me what many say, yeah, I'm not perfect. We all know that. Whatever. Our faith. We're not perfect. But I'm not that bad. He said to me, look, I have a problem with anger. And he knew he had a problem. And he said, you know, I'm working on it. I want to be a better person, he said. Well, that's noble, of course. I want to put something back. And in this strange pseudo-Christian culture, there is a sense that we're trying to be better people, but we don't know how. We don't know how, as a culture, to find the realism we need to then find the God we need. C.S. Lewis, such a brilliant man. You've got the quote. But what he articulates here in the 1960s is what we find going on today in our culture. The ordinary idea which we all have before we become Christians is this. We take as a starting point our ordinary self with its various desires and interests. We then admit that something else, call it morality or decent behaviour or the good of society, has claims on this self, claims which interfere with its own desires. What we mean by being good is giving in to those claims. Some of the things the ordinary self wanted to do turn out to be what we call wrong. Well, we must give them up. Other things turn out to be what we call right. Well, we shall have to do them. As long as we are thinking that way, one or the other of two results is likely to follow. Either we will give up trying to be good, or else we will become very unhappy indeed. For make no mistake, if you are really going to try to meet all the demands made on the natural self, it will not have enough left over to live on. In the end, you will either give up trying to be good, or else become one of those people who, as they say, live for the others but always in a discontented, grumbling way, always wondering why the others do not notice it more and always making a martyr of yourself. And once you have become that, you will be a far greater pest to anyone who has to live with you than you would have been if you had remained, frankly, selfish. Lewis is saying... A little bit of morality isn't what we are about when it comes to being realistic. We need to say that, friends, again and again and again. Most people think that we're just trying to be better people. Most people assume that that is what our faith is about. So we need to say, no, no, we're not about trying to be better people. Of course we become better people. I know that. But that is the outworking of Jesus in us. But it is not the door in. Our culture wants to say, well, we'll tolerate you as long as you sort of make us better people. And 
Yet we want to say, no, it's much more serious than that, what we're about, much more radical, much more life-changing. I remember when I was at school and you had an illness. You went to the sand, the sanatorium. And the rumor was going around the school for a number of years. Whenever you go to the sand, whatever your condition, you're always diagnosed and prescribed the same thing, two paracetamol. So you'd go in and say, sister, sister, you know, my leg's fallen off. Have two paracetamol, dear. You'll be fine. Or, you know, I can't breathe. Two paracetamol. But there's a sense in which our culture is saying, oh, just have two paracetamol. You know, it'll all be fine. It's not realistic, friends. Deeply unrealistic. As Lewis says, the, the idea of just sort of playing and flirting with the self trying harder as this Italian entrepreneur was trying to do. It doesn't work. Turn over a few pages in Luke's Gospel. We know these verses, but they're so good. Chapter 9. Again, it's Peter. Thank the Lord for Peter. Who has just declared that Jesus is the Messiah, which is an absolute eureka moment. Chapter 9, verse 23. And Jesus says what we must do. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And so we're not about a bit of moral paint, friends. We're about personal crucifixion. Saying daily to ourselves, go away. Get out of the way. I want to live for Jesus. And that is our future. I love the idea of when we're in heavenly places, all the things of ourself will be gone. We'll be taken up with him. We'll be remade. And that is the trajectory that we want to inhabit today. So again, back to Lewis. Turn over a page in your booklet. It's a nice red page. Here we go. The Christian way is different, harder, and easier. Christ says, as we've just read, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Oh, that's beautiful, friends, isn't it? We don't flirt with ourself, although, alas, so often I do. We put it on the cross. And Jesus says, have me instead. That's so different from the world out there. So different, radically different, radically life-changing, beautiful. So we need to get people to understand, and we ourselves need to keep on reinforcing this truth. I wake up every morning, and I say to the Lord, here's myself. 
That's hard, friends, as Lewis says, harder than just a bit of do good here or there. But it's not, but it's harder, but it's the gospel. Good news. Perhaps as I've been speaking, you've been thinking, ah, I thought it was a bit more about morality than what you said. And frankly, the idea of giving myself over to God in Christ is terrifying. But that's what he asks of us. So that he can give us so much more back. Extraordinary when I left the law. You know, I was frightened. Left a good career. Would I be all right? Is Christ trustworthy? Will he do a better job than me? I'm always asking that question. And he says again and again, yeah, I I will do a better job actually. I really will. And he calls us always to get out of the boat. You can do it. Keep looking at me. Not morality. Christian, you've given your life to Christ. Terrific. But you've got to keep on denying self. You know, the, the image is, that it, it, you know, it's, it's on the cross, but it's still kind of wriggling off the cross. You know, you've got to keep on turning away. You know, repentance, turning away. The self continually wants to have center stage. And we've said no, but we must keep on saying no. And we must keep on believing that Jesus is better and has more good for us and is the future to keep on trusting. Tomorrow we're going to take communion. Every time we take communion, we're saying, here's myself, thank you the bread, the wine, symbols of your love. It's real. So we're realistic about ourselves in a world that wants to be sugary and moralistic. And secondly, we're realistic about the world. Straight after Jesus says in those verses, take up your cross and follow me, he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? And he knows the attraction of the world. Oh, if I can gain the world. We're surrounded, aren't we, in central London by people pursuing the world, particularly in central London. People are doing rather well. My neighbour, he's worth 300 million, he's doing well. Yeah, that's good. And we are surrounded by very successful people. And we're not against success, but we are against trusting in the world for our future. We are against selling our soul to the City of London. The City of London has no future, friends. I have no idea what's going to happen in the politics of it all, but it has no ultimate future. We're surrounded by people who are investing in a world because they think it's where the future is. But we are saying, no, we'll be in the world, but we won't be of the world. And I think there's one area that we see the lack of realism about ourselves and the lack of realism in the world collide with great force. 
one area that nobody dares speak about. I'm sure you know what it is. We don't talk about death. Have you noticed? Nobody dares talk about it. We want to talk about conspiracy. Well, why don't we talk about this thing that is inevitable? Quite extraordinary. A book was published in 2017 entitled With the End in Mind, Dying, Death and Wisdom, The Age of Denial. That was the title, In the Age of Denial. So it's not just me saying we don't talk. It was a Sunday Times bestseller. But that book, With the End in Mind, didn't really speak about ultimate things. It spoke about the process of death. You know, make sure you have all the right nurses and doctors and beds and all that. Sometimes people say to me, when they're looking for something to say to a vicar, I mean, what do you say to a vicar? They're saying, they say to me, uh, do you get many funerals? <laughs> safe question, you know, get many funerals? And I say, no, not many. People don't die in London, is the joke. You know, nobody dies here. Which, of course, it's a complete lie. But it's sort of kind of true somehow. It seems that, you know, nobody dies in the West. Why has the poor old NHS become a sort of salvation symbol? You know, the NHS cannot save us, whatever your views on healthcare. It's so unfair that this wonderful thing, by and large, has become a sort of place where we are to be saved. I have a wonderful lady called Betty who's a nurse at St. Thomas's and has worked there for 40 years, and she tells me some extraordinary stories of people's unrealistic demands upon the NHS. Just a symptom of our lack of reality in the world. So we say, Hubbard, we are realistic. We, we can be. We, 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 we have the safety to be realistic. We have the word of God, friends. It tells the truth. Hallelujah. All these lies and not talking about things that are all going to happen to all of us. I could have taken you to any passage almost in the Bible that is utterly truthful about this sort of stuff. But Psalm 46 came to mind as I was preparing. So find Psalm 46. Because here, and you know, as I said, I could have taken you to all sorts of places. But Psalm 46 is a very precious psalm. And that speaks with great reality about two worlds. The world that God has and the world that is. So again, I'm going to read it. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, <clears throat> excuse me, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, oh, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So you see the two worlds in this psalm. The natural world in turmoil. Mirroring Jesus' words. In this world you will have trouble. There will always be trouble in this world. Verses 1 to 3. Speaks of ever-present trouble in verse 1. Speaks of mountains falling into the heart of the sea in verse 2. Speaks of a chaotic, roaring waters foaming. The psalmist knows what we know, that our world is deeply broken. And of course we know, and we're seeing this climate agenda, which is absolutely right at one level, of course. We've exploited the planet and we must rein back. Absolutely. We agree with that. But we won't panic. You see, there's a lot of panic. Apparently there's a syndrome now for children who are so frightened of this climate problem that they have to go and see counsellors. We won't panic. Because of Psalm 46, amongst many other places. This is not some great surprise to us. Yes, we're complicit in it. But the world has always been a fragile and time-bound place. And our Western culture suddenly wakes up to this through climate change problems. And it's terrified. So we want to help, obviously, I'm not saying that. But we don't want to panic. And then the human world in turmoil. Verse 6, nations are in uproar. They still are. Kingdoms fall. They still do. Who remembers the Blackberry? Gosh, that was the device of choice. Barely remember it now. But once upon a time, that was the kingdom that everybody had. Now it's Apple and Samsung, but, you know, who knows where they'll be. So, So kingdoms fall, friends. And he mentions war in verse 9, presupposing that they are happening, war ceasing. So we've got the natural world in turmoil, the human world in turmoil. But then this other beautiful picture of another world. Use your imagination. I'm sure the main reason we have imagination is to use it to imagine the future with God. Verse 4, there is a river. Ah, more water, but this time calm. You know if you walk by a river, there's that wonderful sense of momentum and calmness. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her. At break of day, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. Isn't that terrific? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Ah, oh, fantastic. Same thought in Psalm 46. And then the invitation 
verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done. He makes war cease. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. And that invitation of 10, verse 10, is so precious. Be still and know that I am God. And we need to inhabit this, friends, for our culture's sake and for our sake. There's panic. But we in the Lord know that all is well. Be still. This is our mindset of the realistic Christian. So as I finish, we're realistic about ourselves. Not a bit of morality, not trying to be nicer, but crucifixion. Giving Christ ourselves daily. And we're realistic about the world. Yes, trouble, turmoil, all around us. But peace Stillness coming. And all this is rooted in the gospel. How serious is our problem? Well, it's serious enough to send Christ to a cross. How deep is God's love? That deep. Nothing less will do because that is what Christ has done. How serious is the world's problems? Deeply serious, friends. Not just a bit of green energy here and all the rest. But no, deeply serious. For it was resurrection power that broke through that great problem of death in the world and in us. In this world you will have trouble But take heart, have confidence, rejoice. I have overcome the world. Let's pray.